Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com podcast. Easier said, done. Coming up on episode 205 of Wheel Bearings, we've got Robbie in the Mercedes-Benz EQS. Nicole's got the 2020 Mini Convertible John Cooper Works. I've got the 2021 Genesis GV80. We've got lawsuits over delivery fees, low inventory, Rivian delayed, Chevy bolts on fire, and a ban on internal combustion in the EU by 2035. All that and more coming up next. Did you know you can support Wheelbearings directly? Head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia and you can become a patron today. Your contributions will help fund the platforms and tools we use to bring the podcast to you. And exclusives and improvements are already on the way thanks to your generosity. So if you want to be part of an automotive podcast like no other, head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia. This is episode 205 of Wheel Bearings. I'm Sam Abul Samet from Guidehouse Insights. And I am Nicole Wakeland from Auto Vitel. And I am Roberto Baldwin from Engadget. Excellent. And uh, what have you all been driving this week? Let's start with Nicole. Oh, we start with me. Okay. I was actually really excited about this car because they don't often get cars from this company. It had a mini which is just about the cutest car in the entire planet in any version. It's adorable. Um, this is the 2022 Mini. Are we talking a Mini Mini or a big, a Maxi Mini? A little Mini. It's a Mini John Cooper Works convertible. It's it's Mini. Ooh. It's tiny. Oh, excellent. It's super cute. And it was funny because when they pulled it into the driveway, I love all the weird custom stuff you can do to like, what do you want your roof to look like? What do you look what, what your side mirrors to look like? Like all this custom stuff. The one I have, the convertible top has a Union Jack on it. So it's like a black top was sort of like a gray a different fabric that has a union on, jack on the convertible yeah on the convertible to, on the actual fabric that's the oh. top so i looked Ooh, out my that... window to see what was there and it was like a little union jack looking up at me it's really cute um cool. yeah I've, so... I've seen that on the coops but on the hard tops but i've never seen that on one of the convertibles before they do and it's neat because like if you think the fabric of the convertible is just like you know think of your basic black 
fabric. But then the the Union Jack is gray, but it's almost like it's a herringbone pattern. So it's a slightly different, you know, it's not just a different color. It's actually a different, like, material pattern. It looks really oh. cool. Um, yeah. And I think it's is, cool because the company... Is it just silkscreened or... No, I believe like, it's it actually... Printed or is it... Stitched I don't think it's printed. It looks like it's stitched. Um, I could probably find out because Hearts, the guys who make the convertible tops for like 99.9% of the convertibles on the planet are in Massachusetts right next door. I may even see oh. him at a local event. I will ask. I will find out. If it's silkscreened, okay. I will tell you. But I'm pretty sure it's it's actually woven into the fabric. Um, so that's what I have this week. And I never have minis. I think this is the second time. Maybe the third time I've ever driven one. Um, haven't put the top down for more than 30 seconds because I'm in New England. And what we're currently doing is building arcs because it hasn't stopped raining for three weeks. <laughs> wow. So, it's just rain, 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 rain. Uh, so I put it down for a hot minute. It was it was fun. And then I had to put it right back up again because it's been raining. So we'll see. I got it a couple more days. Maybe I'll get to drive it more with the top down. Uh, but I like this. It it You know, there is that cuteness. I mean, it's an incredibly appealing car to just look at. And mine is, this one is red you know like i said the union jack thing it's it's got that cute little kid smile when you drive by kind of thing happening and even the interiors that way everything's like very round and very bulbous and there's cute colors you know you adjust the radio and the colors on the like around the infotainment system turn one color and you adjust your your air conditioning and they turn another color and it's it's the most entertaining <laughs> little car to drive <laughs> uh, but it is also a lot of i mean it's also a sporty little thing so Last week, I had had the Civic sedan, which is a perfectly fine sedan, and I drove it a lot because I had a little bit of a road trip, and I had just gotten out of that, and they took it, and then I get into this an hour later, and for a second, I thought, oh my gosh, this is so, this feels so harsh. It was so tight. I'm like, no, this is just not the relaxed Civic sedan. It's got some sportiness to it. So for a second, it was almost disconcerting, like the difference between the two. And then my brain went, yeah, but you actually like this. Calm down, Nicole. This is fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and I think you had, you had the John Cooper works, right? So it's, it's yeah. even sportier. Not quite the sportiest. I, I, I don't think they have the the GP edition in uh, in the convertible. I think that's only for a coupe. No. But, uh, yes. But it's definitely, yeah, it's going to be tighter. Yeah, and it's it's and the power and it's a twin turbo four cylinder with two hundred and twenty eight horsepower and two hundred and thirty six pound feet of torque. Two twenty eight is a good number, but it's a really good number in a car this small. This is such a tiny little thing. It's not like this is a huge heavy SUV that we're moving down the highway. Um, Comparatively tiny by modern standards. By modern standards, yeah. uh, it has a yes. you can seat. It has a back seat. I mean, there's one there. You could technically put people there if they took their knees and folded them up against their chest like a pretzel. Otherwise, the seat's two people. <laughs> um, yeah. We went out We went out last night. My husband was like, why aren't we taking the Mini? I'm like, you want to sit in the back? He's like, oh, yeah, three of us can't fit in there. <laughs> so uh, it's really a two-seater. I mean, it doesn't say that, but it is. And it's not the cheapest two-seater on the planet either. So the base price on this is thirty eight nine. I had a lot of options added on there. Uh, brought the price on the one I'm driving to forty six thousand two hundred and fifty dollars. Exactly. That's a, it's that's a maxi mini price. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's kind of pricey, but the thing is, it's it really is a sporty and very fun car to drive. I mean, it's very tight handling. It's very aggressive. The only time 
that the sportiness sort of works against it is it does get harsh if you hit a pothole. Like you hit a pothole, you don't realize it's there. You will know it's there once the wheels of this car have gone through it because it is it is harsh under those circumstances. And there is a drive mode selector where you can pick like sport. I forgot. It's like sport and normal. And I think there's three. The sport mode does make a huge difference. You put it in sport and the neighbors neighbors will hear your exhaust four doors down. Uh, and it gets all burbly and <laughs> crackly and it sounds fantastic. Uh, it, but, you know, as small as it is, the back seat not really usable, but I don't know. I, I owned a Beetle once upon a time, a Turbo Beetle, back when the new Beetles first came out. Nobody pick on me. I loved that thing. But the neat thing about it was it's so round that even though it's a really tiny car, inside it felt big because it was very. You know, the roof is just higher than you expect for a small car. My husband's six three, and he was always like, he was always surprising that he could sit in that thing and not be squashed. It was kind of the same way with the Mini. The Mini has a surprise, you know, it's got a sort of a boxy design to it. It's not like this low squished, you know, small, it, it's tiny in terms of how many people it can fit, but it's roomy if you're just using the front seats. So he's 6'3", he's still fit in there without feeling like, you know, his head was about to brush the top of the, you know, the car, uh, which I think is kind of neat. My biggest criticisms of this, and this is a weird criticism. So <laughs> there's a thigh adjuster that like, you know, you can adjust the seat out for your thigh and I don't need that. But when you close it as tight as it will get, it's not all, all the way closed. So there's like this little gap between your seat and the thigh extender. And when you sit down, it feels weird. It feels like you have something like the little seam feels strange and it's this little gap, uh. and, which doesn't seem like a big deal until you keep thinking like, like, it's almost like you sat on the edge, like, is the seatbelt under my leg? Is what is under my leg? Is there a straw wrapper there? Did I, what, what did I sit on? And it, no, no, that's just actually how the seat is made. Uh, so that was a little weird. In fact, it's enough of a gap that I rolled up a straw wrapper from my McDonald's Diet Coke and I dropped it and it fell directly between. <laughs> so I had to extend the little thing so I could reach it and take the little straw wrapper out and not give that back to them. Um, and the other thing that I found a little awkward in the few moments that I had the top down, once you have it down, you have no rear view whatsoever. It sticks up even when it's folded completely. It's up at enough at an angle that you have you really can't use your rearview mirror. Like you have the narrowest of views over the top of that. And I realize, like if you're in a parking lot, you can turn around, but I'm not like turning around and looking over my head on a highway. So you're really having to rely 100% on your side view mirrors to see what's behind you when you're changing lanes. Because once that top is down, it doesn't come low enough that you can still see over the top of it in your rearview mirror. Oh. This is one of the downsides of having such a small car and making it convert convertible is that there's nowhere to stow that mechanism mm -hmm. inside the bodywork. You know, it basically has to stack on top of the rear bodywork. Yeah, and it really does, which, you know, you still have side view mirrors. I mean, you can pack an SUV full of stuff and have no rear view mirror because you blocked your view, you know, and you just use side view mirrors. But it was it's disconcerting because your habit – when I drive, you know, you check your mirrors, you check all three of them, side mirrors and the rear view mirror. You go to check that rear view mirror and you kind of want to do this like duck thing. Like, can I, if I change my angle, can I see? Nope, nope, there's no seeing out that. Just use the side mirrors. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's been a while since I drove a, a mini mini. You know, the, the last several minis I've had have all been like countrymen's and, and clubmen's and stuff. And, and it's probably been a decades since the last time I had a Cooper um, or a convertible, I mean. And so, mm -hmm. you know, it's, you know, when I, the last time I drove one of those, I mean, 
the, you know, it was even smaller than it is now. And it was a lot of fun to drive. Um, yeah, and it sounds like it's, you know, they've, they've kept that, that fun to drive feel of, of the, of the mini in this latest generation. Oh, a hundred percent. It is truly, it is truly fun. And once you, you know, when you, you listen to that exhaust note and you, you know, hit the gas hard to merge onto a highway and it, it feels great. It sounds great. It's absolutely a joy. So it makes that rather pricey price tag a little bit easier to swallow because like, well, if I buy this, I'm having all this fun every time I get on the highway and I'm having all this fun every time I take a twisty because it's so tight on side roads. You know, if you're on little country roads, slinging it through the corners is truly, truly fun. So I enjoyed the heck out of it. This was a, this was a good car. I'll be sad when they take this one away in two days. Yeah. It's a, it's a fun car. I, I had the, the coupe, uh, I don't know, a year ago, eight months ago. Um, the only issue for me was that I could not get comfortable in the seats. I, I, for the, for the life of me, I, I could not figure out a way to not be uncomfortable in those seats. It was that stupid thigh extender. Maybe, maybe <laughs> everything else about the car I really liked, but I was just like, I can't, I couldn't buy this car because of these seats and this, and it was the, the John Cooper works version. I've driven the mm-hmm. other ones and it's fine, but the John, I don't know, somehow they found the perfect measurements to stab my spine in all the right or wrong places as you may, uh, but no, it, it was, no, it was, it was great. It was fun to drive. It's, you know, it's like a souped up, I mean, everyone likes to say this, but it's like a souped up, um, um, go-kart. Mm-hmm. It is. It is a little bit like a souped up go-kart and cuter than a souped and, up go It's just really and, cute. It's adorable. And, and this is exactly why you should never, ever buy a car sight unseen without, you know, actually sitting in it first. At, le- at least sit in it, preferably take it for a very thorough test drive, but at, at the very least sit in it because, you know, the, the thing that people think probably think about the least when they buy a car, but that may well be the single most important feature of the car is the seats. You, you know, no matter what else you do with the car, you're going to have to sit in those seats. <laughs> and if you can't get comfortable, you are going to be miserable for as long as you own that car. Yep. So, you know, absolutely take it for a test drive, you know, and, you know, maybe if the, the, the John Cooper works seats don't work for you, you know, try one of the lower trims, you know, Cooper or Cooper S, um, you know, and, and actually they're a lot more affordable too. Like I'm just looking at the mini yeah. website, the, the base Cooper convertible starts at, uh, 28,000 and the, the Cooper S, um, which is 189 horsepower. The base one is 134, the Cooper S 189. So it's not that much slower than the John Cooper works, you know, starts at 32, and you know, if you're a little more judicious with the options list and maybe forego the the Union Jack on the roof, you know, you could because you know the reality is, you know, if you're going to buy a convertible, you should be driving it with the top down anyway. So you're never going, you should never ever see that, you know, whatever's on the roof of a convertible. So therefore, you should you should you know skip that and yes, you know, drive it but top I live down in New England. And you save I live a lot in of New money. England where you it's too cold. There's there's very many months of the year where the top no, would probably you just shatter it, and freeze when you opened it up. You, the fabric would just start blasting start blasting the, the heater and it'll be fine. <laughs> it won't be too cold. You start blasting <laughs> the heater and everything will uh, yeah, work exactly. out fine. Yeah, just just turn okay. up the, the heat. You come and, out here you know, in if, January if you get, if you get heated seats, when it's five hat on, below. Put some goggles on. Okay, uh, sure. I want to see I've, you come I've out here in January. In, I'll get this. I've driven convertibles in that kind of weather. I did. It's I like have, I did a rod. But, but you but do occasionally. I mean, like it's, it's snowing. It's raining. There are moments when it's just not. 
if you're driving to put the top down if you're driving fast enough the rain won't hit you that's all i'm saying <laughs> oh is that the key okay that'll be up for trying i'll, exactly. I'll give that a try roberto that'll work okay the wind will <laughs> blow the rain away you just gotta keep going faster yeah. oh it's raining harder you gotta speed Can't up slow down it's raining <laughs> yeah. and stop for this light it's raining <laughs> sorry guys it's raining i gotta run this red light <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I took I took the Miata out on Sunday for you know a couple of hours, and you know it was glorious. You know, top down, eighty three oh. degrees, sun was shining. It was, it was amazing. That's the way it should be. All right. Anything else on the uh, the Mini John Cooper Works convertible? No, that was it. That that pretty much covers right. it. Excellent. So I, I believe you went on a little trip last week, uh, Robbie, where, uh, that, uh, somewhere that's not in the United States. I did. I went to Europe last week, which was weird because you have to wear a mask the entire time, which is fine because, you know, germs and COVID and not wanting to die and whatnot. Um, but I will, I, you know, I've, I've traveled a few times. I've, I've flown a few times while wearing masks. And, you know, you have to wear it in the airport. You have to wear it on the plane. And the, the the biggest issue is that it starts to rub against your ear. So I have to figure out a, a, a solution for that for my next trip. But um, I went to Switzerland to drive the new Mercedes EQS, essentially their, their electric S-Class. Um, flew into Switzerland, drove around Swiss Alps, which were ridiculously amazing. And the vehicle itself, um, I'm just going to say just up front, I'm not going to like try to... <sighs> It drives better than the S-Class. Done. There you go. It's the S-Class, but without the <laughs> vibration, without the noise. It's it's almost eerily quiet inside the vehicle. Whenever I test a vehicle, especially on a drive program, I, I don't turn on the radio. I don't turn on, you know, I drive it for, uh, you know, as, as at least three quarters of the the uh, time that I'm, I'm going to be behind the wheel. I drive it without any music or any whatever, talk radio, podcast, whatever you want to listen to so i can sort of hear you know how it sounds and it's it's so you know we, we were on the the freeway we were on back roads we were driving through little towns which were all very uh delightful um and everywhere you took it it was just nice and quiet and smooth and just it, it was it was it's the the night it, yeah it's an s-class that just happens to have a different powertrain and it's it's sort of nuts and if you're looking at an s-class and you're like oh should i get the s-class or should i spend you know i'm sure there's going to be a price premium they haven't announced pricing yet um or should i get the the eqs i'm i'm almost certain you should probably get the eqs especially if you're going for something that is you know you're going for that luxury you're not you know um they, we we drove Three different vehicles. We drove the um, the rear-wheel drive 450 plus, the um, the 584 Matic, and then the uh, first edition, which is just a 584 Matic with a bunch of stuff on it, um, and that two-tone paint job, which I'm not really sold on. Um, it's it's like you know the Maybach two-tone type of paint job. So, <laughs> but it's you know all three of them. Um, the 580, that's the that torque, that Lauren torque. It had three, 631 pound-feet of torque, which is sort of ridiculous um, in in any it's vehicle. Adequate. Yeah, you you, you know you stop <laughs> on the gas and you're like, yeah, you know you're making you're moving a pretty large you know a hefty vehicle and it's still it delivered every time. Um, but you know you don't. That's if you're, you're you're somebody who just absolutely has to have the power of you know 
the 584 Mac. You you need your you know you're someone who's obsessed with with that low end torque who who wants to just stomp stomp and go. Um, driving the rear wheel drive 450 plus, uh, completely fine. It was you know it it still has that power. Not obviously not nearly as much as much as the 580, but it was just, I I drove that through the Alps on switchbacks. And it was great. It was wonderful. It was, you know, smooth. It was, you know, it was more than adequate power. Uh, you know, it's everything about uh, both of those vehicles. And, and there is a very distinct uh, difference between the vehicles, especially when it comes to power um, and, and a bit with handling. Um, but I think most people are going to be happy with the 450 plus. It's rear wheel drive. You know, you, no one's, you know, very, there are people who are going to try to like, you know, push the S-Class to its limits, so the EQS, they're going, oh, I'm going through the mountains, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. But most people are just, they're on the they're on the freeway, they're driving through the city, 450 plus, you're fine. Um, yeah. Do, do, do both of them have the same size battery? Yes, they both have the same size battery, um, and the, uh, the WLTP figure is about 780 kilometers. It's a little bit less with the 580 plus, um, we're, so about, I'm, I did some like 475 miles. So uh, I think with EPA probably around 400 ish top, the yeah, high between 300s. 350 and 400 probably. Yeah. So, yeah. so the range is, you know, they haven't announced any range numbers with the EPA. Um, they haven't, they didn't, they wouldn't announce like targets for it, but I, I if it hit like 380, if they announced 375, 38, I wouldn't be surprised. They said 400, I'd probably be a little bit surprised. Um, but I'm, I'm guessing it's going to be up there in the, in the high three hundreds, which, uh, is, you know, if you're paying a lot of money for an S class, you're expecting, um, quality and you're expecting not to have the hassle of like having to pull over to every 200 miles to, to charge your battery. So yeah, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're going to get the, 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 uh, all the, the accoutrements that you would expect from an S class, which includes not having to get out and charge as much as, as possible. Um, and, and both of them have a 107.8 kilowatt hour battery, uh, battery pack. So, um, okay. Yeah. So it sounds, sounds like this one's a lot more efficient than their first EVs, like the EQC that they launched in Europe a couple of years ago, but never, never brought to the U S market. Cause I think it, it only had a link, just over 200 miles range WLTP and it would have been well short of that here. Yeah. It, that I, I drove, I went on that EQC uh, drive program cause they were going to bring it to the United States and it was, um, it was very much, you know, a, a, a Mercedes SUV. There was, you know, you, you, you felt the Mercedes quality and it just happened to be an EV is was essentially what that vehicle was. And then they, they decided not to go with that and do the EQS, which I think if you're people who are who are waiting for the EQC, they were probably a little disappointed. But I think uh, trying to make a big splash, a larger splash in the, the United States with an EV, the EQS is going to do a much, you know, it's, it's going to be the halo vehicle for them. And they, they come out with that to show, hey, this is what we can do as we're, you know, battling against the Model S, which really, I mean, the Model it's it's a price comparison mostly. It's not really... A Model S, you know, it goes fast. It is not a an S class though, and I think anyone who's ever sat in an S class can and, and sat in a Model S. If you if you try to compare them in terms of luxury and just you know 
build quality it's it's almost night and day i mean not even close it's not even close yeah Yeah. Yeah. like Uh, you can't i think i think maybe the 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 closest thing to this you know might be the lucid air yeah that's really more targeted at at this kind of luxury feel. Yeah, the, the lucid uh, air—they're—they're they're really going after the Germans. That's—that's—that's that's, that's essentially what they've told me time and time and again. They're going after the German yeah. uh, premium um, luxury vehicles. So, what did you think of the the new infotainment system in this one? The new version of MBUX, you know, that's got the you know edge to edge, you know, glass panel, you know, stretches from pil- pillar to pillar, glass panel, you know, three screen. different displays in there. Yeah, the hyperscreen. Yes, the hyperscreen. So it's, it's fifty six inches of, of glass, and they're very wow. proud. They're very proud of the hyperscreen. Um, it looks nice. It's it's essentially fifty six inches of glass um, <laughs> that they that they uh, they worked with Corning, you know, Gorilla Glass, but they also had to work with uh, other um, suppliers because Corning didn't think they could build it. <laughs> they could do it. They're like, oh, you guys are crazy. This isn't gonna work. This is ridiculous. And it's curved. It's got like it's like it's long. It's weird shaped. It's curved. Like all these things. And Corning's like, I don't know if this could happen. Like, oh no no, we can do it. And they did it. Um, and behind it are three different uh, displays. There's the uh, uh, 12.3 inch uh, dash cluster. There's the 17.7 um, inch uh, OLED touchscreen, and then the the uh, 12.3 inch uh, passenger display, which is you know right there that you can use to to uh, control media. You can you can do you know you can do a, a lot of the stuff you can do with MBUX um, media and navigation wise from from that screen. And so you know it's 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 a uh, it's 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 sort of ridiculous, but it's also an S class. So mm-hmm. it has to go. be ridiculous. It has to. It has, yeah, you you yeah. really have to, when you're Mercedes, you kind of have to push the limit with every S class without losing that that luxury feel. And with the EQS, they they they've they've done it. I didn't give a lot of chances to to work to deal with the uh, or to test the passenger display because of COVID. Um, typically on these drive programs, you're paired up with another journalist and you drive and you switch off and then they drive and you switch off. Um, because of COVID, we all had individual cars, which is nice because you get to drive the car the entire time. But at the same time, I usually like when we'd switch, I'd write my notes down. I can like, you know, push things, <laughs> and touch things that I can't do while yeah. I'm driving. Um, but it was, you know, it's unfortunately I didn't get a chance because the, the display doesn't turn on. It just has, uh, a uh, what do you call it um like a screensaver on it when there's not a passenger sitting in that seat so you can set it to like a you know they have images of their avatar based concept car but you can also set like a compass or a clock there i put it on the compass because i don't know felt cooler um and what about uh, the the center display you know where they've talked about the the center display they've talked about this this idea of the zero layer interface you know where you've got you know the, the the navigation and some widgets floating on top of that. And it was, you know, what I I was um, I remember they showed it off to me um, at the unveiling, and I was a little hesitant that I'm like, oh, okay, well that's well, I don't know. I'm, I'm sure everyone's just going to want to go back to the, to the the sort of tablet display that we've become used to, which is the you know the the regular MBUX display. I like the zero layer. I I kept it on the zero layer almost the entire time. Um, and it surfaces information that you need 
um, as you're driving. And then if you drive the car for a few weeks, it starts to learn your routine. So if you have a meeting, let's say you do in your car every you know Wednesday at 9 a.m., it'll start to surface that like, oh, we should turn down the music. We should do this. We should do that. It, you know, it surfaces uh, navigation to where you're going. It's, it's So it gets a bit smarter as you train it. But what is weird is that you have the 17.7-inch OLED touchscreen, and the steering wheel actually covers some of the touchscreen. So while you're driving, you can't really? see about it's... maybe about a, a, about an inch and a half, two inches of the left side of the screen. But Mercedes knows this, and they've moved all the widgets that much over. <laughs> So it has this very okay. large. So it's this very, very large wide screen that the driver can't see the entirety of, <laughs> and Mercedes knows this, so they move the widget over just enough so you can see it. So while I'm driving, I could still see. So I didn't even notice it until someone brought it up because <laughs> I could still see, you know, my directions, the, the controls for, you know, how I want the display to be for the um, for the navigation, like everything that I wanted was there. So I. So initially, I didn't notice that, and someone brought it up. They're like, yeah, you can't see the very left edge of the screen. I was like, what? And then I got in the car, and I'm like, oh, you're right. And Mercedes was like, yeah, we, we, <laughs> we are aware of that. We moved everything over. You still have this big, beautiful screen, though. And so, like, everyone else in the car can see the entire but screen. But your passenger can see it all. Yeah, yeah, your passenger can see it all. Everyone can see everything that's going on. Um, but it is, it is, it, it's sort of an odd decision to, to, to say, okay, well – why don't we just make a smaller screen? <laughs> and they're like, no. Yeah. <laughs> or or shift no, because, the whole screen, the display over, you know, an inch or two. No, it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's a pretty, it's a, it's, it's a large, large uh, piece of um, display real estate. And I think they were just like, we're going to shove as much screen in there as possible. Even if it means you're not going to be able to see it all. <laughs> it's there. It's there. And uh, when you look at it, you're like, okay, it looks symmetrical, it looks nice and fine and everything. But it's it's it is very uh, yeah. It was it was sort of like okay, that's a thing you're doing. Cool. <laughs> so maybe it's a little bit too hyper. It's too hyper. It's it, here's the fun thing is that the, the the gentleman who is essentially like the father of the hyper scream, he's also a uh, a big fan of this band called Scooter, and Scooter had this song called Hyper Hyper. It's like this dance track from like the '90s. So uh, everyone, go look up Scooter Hyper Hyper, um, and he was he was very excited to, to share that information about because uh, we were talking about how the the name came about, and um, he was just like, "Oh, this song Hyper Hyper." So of course we all like started looking on our phones for Hyper Hyper, and it's very much a '90s, uh, uh, you know, like house trance or not trance house uh, song. So it's it's if you want to dance, listen to Hyper Hyper by Scooter. <laughs> We'll we'll include that uh, include that in the show notes. Um, yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, so when when's it when's it going to be on sale in the U.S.? So it'll land in the United States uh, this fall. Uh, again, they have not announced yeah. pricing, um, it, but you know it's an S class. It's uh, <laughs> it's an EV. Um, mm-hmm. So it is it's it's not going to be you know it's not cheap. You know you're talking it's it's going to be uh, a pricey endeavor. Um, how much the price premium will be above the S class is, is yet to be seen. Um, maybe Mercedes can, can pull a fast one and, and make it, you know, not 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 parity, but pretty close, which would be which would be a uh, especially for California where you know they sell a lot of S classes and they sell a lot of EV, you know, and you know we buy a lot of EVs. If they can get it within like ten, fifteen thousand dollars, 
I think the EQS is going to do pretty well. I will say that the design uh, language is is it, it looks like a Mercedes, but it also sort of looks very bulbous. Um, and mm-hmm. you know that's that's you know if you want a, a zero point two you know drag coefficient, that's kind of what you end up having to do. Um, <laughs> no, I would I, I I don't know if I I can say that I love it, but I like it. How's that? Especially when you think about okay. okay, well I'm getting this many miles, and it's still when you and when you, again you're sitting inside most of the time. <laughs> it's like the first Panamera where everyone liked it until they saw it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Are, are are there um, are there any plans for an AMG version? Um, I'm not sure. Did you talk about that at all? No. Yeah, I, no, I assume no. at some point there will be an AMG. Everything EQS. everything that Mercedes Benz makes is is at least gets the AMG trim level at some point. So so I'm sure they'll probably, yeah. especially with something that's 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 you know they're essentially their Halo vehicle, their Halo tech vehicle. Um, which is which? This is. Um, oh, I also will say that it does not have the 3D dash cluster, because the um, the display is curved, and the 3D uh, technology that sort of interlacing they have to do has to be on a flat surface, and they can't do it with the the curve of the dash cluster. Okay. So you, that's okay. And, and then again, that um, that's such a weird like sort of like uh, uh, almost gimmicky um, feature on the S class that I was like, well, yeah, fine, whatever. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, actually, the car I was driving did have a 3D dash cluster, so we'll, we'll get to that in a second. Um, <clears throat> any other thoughts on the EQS? Um, I really liked it. I was, um, you know, it's 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 every time you get into an S class, you you know that you're in an S class. This is an S class, and it it impressed me with just how smooth, um, you know, and there, you know, Mercedes has to they have to appeal to the person who's been buying an S-Class for the last three generations. And they have to tell that person, okay, this is what you're used to, but better because it's an EV. And so, and I think, and they've done that. That's, you know, I think that's the, you know, I can't afford an S-Class. I don't, I don't know how many of our listeners can, but the people who can, Mercedes has to make sure it hits that level. And they did with the EQS. Excellent. All right. So I was driving the Genesis GV80, which I, First drove I did a you know did the first drive last fall um, here in Michigan, and I had one for a week, um, and so this is you know Genesis is Genesis uh, Gen- the first SUV from Genesis, <laughs> let's put it that way, uh, and it's Genesis. based on the same architecture, Genesis. yeah the the same uh, same platform architecture as the new G80, and you know clearly you know when you look at it you can see the the resemblance you know especially in the the design language this new Genesis design language where you know the front uh, the front lamps you've got the double horizontal strips uh, of light the 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 oversized grille uh, which you know while I'm not a huge fan of oversized grills you know I think is better executed than what BMW's done and, and what a lot of companies have done, but I still think it could be a, could stand to be a little smaller. But the overall shape of this thing I think is, is really good. You know, the, the details, the design details on this thing, I think I, you know, it's a great looking vehicle. Um, you know, and I think for somebody looking for a premium luxury uh, utility, you know, kind of in that upper upper mid size class, you know, kind of X five, uh, Q seven 
Audi Q7 size. Um, you know, this this is something you know that I think is a, a very reasonable competitor. Um, you know, it's available with with two engine options: the 2.5 liter turbo or 3.5 liter twin turbo V6. The the 2.5 is a four cylinder. I had the 3.5. It was the uh, the the high the the top end. Uh, Prestige model. So this is a GV80 all-wheel drive 3.5T Prestige, um, and it was pretty much loaded with everything. You know, one of the things when when I first sat in the GV80 a couple of years ago at the LA Auto Show, um, and uh, Rebecca Lindland and I were, were sitting in this thing at, in LA, uh, looking at it, checking out the interior. These these new Genesis vehicles, you know, they've they've done it. I think largely done an amazing job on the interiors, you know, with the materials and the, the, the finishes that they've got on there. Um, you know, some of the detailing, you know, on the, the knobs, the, the knurling that they've done on the knobs, you know, to give you some, some grip there. I think looks great, largely feels great to the touch. Um, you know, works really well. It feels really premium. It, you know, it feels expensive. It, you know, it doesn't look or feel in any way cheap. You know, you would certainly, you know, you sit in this thing, you would, you know, you, you would not, you know, you'd probably not think that this comes from a brand, you know, from the same company that makes Hyundais, you know, makes a, a Hyundai accent, you know, or, or a, a venue. Um, and yet, you know, this is where the Genesis brand has evolved to, you know, the first, the first Hyundai Genesis a decade ago, a little, you know, doesn't know, 13 years ago. Um, you know, was a high-end Genesis, and I think, you know, I think they they had some challenges trying to convince people that Hyundai could make a premium luxury car. And you know, it was the first Genesis was a was a really good car in many respects, but that you know they eventually split off the brand into its own separate sub-brand, and Genesis has had its challenges with dealers and you know trying to get the brand established, but. You know, this is this is a fantastic vehicle. Um, the the one complaint I have about <clears throat> the functionality in the interior, and I mentioned this last fall when I first drove it. The uh, you know, as uh, you know, as as we've mentioned before, this is one of those vehicles that doesn't have a touchscreen. You know, the the display is set up on top of the dash, away you know, out of your reach, so you can't touch it. Um, and there's a central controller, but unlike a BMW iDrive or some of the other central controllers, it doesn't sit up above the center console. It's actually kind of flush with the console, and it's actually actually kind of concave. You know, so it's like a little dish in the middle of the console, and around the perimeter of it, it has the same kind of knurling that's on the uh, on the other knobs and controls, which looks really nice, but. The the problem is, you know, while that knurling works well when, you know, in kind of in compression, you know, when you're squeezing a knob, you know, it's it's got enough texture to it, you know, that you can get a nice grip on it, um, you know, and, and turn it very precisely. In this case, the knurling is kind of on the top surface. So when you're rotating the the this controller, instead of grabbing it and twisting it the way you would a BMW iDrive controller, you're kind of rotating, you know, ro- putting your finger on it and rotating it, kind of like the, the old, um, you know, first and second generation iPods, if you remember the, the classic oh, iPods yeah. with, okay. with the, the, um, the click wheel. So it's, it's very similar to that, you know, but, you know, you actually, you know, you, you turn it 
So it's really more like the, the very first generation iPods, which actually had a physical wheel that turned. This, the later ones, it became a capacitive surface that you, you swipe, swiped your finger around it. This you know, is like those first ones where it turns. And, but there's, you know, the, there's not quite enough texture there that sometimes you, know, you have to press down hard enough on it to, to turn it that you know, this also acts as a, a rocker control you know, to go up and down in menus and things like that. And so you, sometimes you end up pressing it a little bit too hard and you, and you end up clicking when you, all you really wanted to do was spin it to go up and down oh. a menu or across a screen. And, um, you know, I've noticed this on the G80, <clears throat> on the, the new G80, and when I first drove the GV80. Um, and, you know, hopefully, you know, what they'll do is they'll make some changes in the, the, the exact texturing of that surface on, on this controller uh, on, on future model years. But right now, it, it, you have to be, you have to have, it takes some finesse to control it quite the way you want. Um, but other than that, everything else about the interior of this thing works works great. Um, the you mentioned the the 3D uh, instrument cluster, and that's an option on here. It's available on the the Prestige model, um, and it's it's an interesting detail that when you first look at it, you know, especially if you're using um, you know the adaptive cruise control or you know other driver assists, and you page over to you know where it shows you the you know your vehicle and where other vehicles are around you, you know, you actually see that 3D and you you can see some 3D depth in the gauges and and so on. So it kind of looks you know rather than just being a flat LCD display, you know it looks a little more like a traditional mechanical gauge cluster. Um, so it, it, it looks pretty, I mean, it does obviously doesn't add any functional improvement to it, but, but it looks a little prettier. Um, but the, the driver assist display, I think is kind of neat. Um, you know, because you do get more of that 3d effect there than you do like with the gauges and so on. And so you see, you know, your car, uh, on there and, you know, when you're following somebody else, you know, you, you can kind of you can kind of perceive that depth, um, you know, between your car and the one in front of you. And this one, unlike most like uh, systems, you know, with lane centering or lane keeping assist, this one um, actually shows the cars in your adjacent lanes as well, uh, much like a Tesla does uh, with autopilot. And so you can you can see those other cars, um, you know, as you go by them, uh, you know, and 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 so you you you'll see what the sensors are detecting. Um, one of the, the unique things that they've done with the lane centering system, when you're using the, the highway drive assist, which is their hands-on uh, combination of adaptive cruise control and lane centering, when you're going down the highway, if you're if in the, the, the adjacent lane there is a, a large vehicle, a truck or a bus or something in the adjacent vehicle, if there's nobody to your to your left on the opposite side, um, as you're going down the, the lane, normally it keeps you, you know, tracks pr pretty well right in the center of the lane. But as you approach another vehicle to, to either side, 
it will actually nudge your vehicle over just slightly. And if, you know, if you're watching the mirrors, you can see it. You can, you can see that you're getting a little bit closer to the center line opposite the vehicle. So just to give you a little bit more room, a little bit more clearance to that, that large vehicle on the other side, which I think is, a, is, a, is an interesting touch. And I've, I haven't seen any other manufacturer do that yet. And it's something that I think you know, an attentive human driver will often do. And it's good to see them starting to incorporate those kinds of things into these driver assists. Yeah, the Super Cruise, when uh, the initial launch, it would be like right up against the car. It would just center it, you versus yeah. like the giant truck. And so you're just always like, ah, yeah. because you're, because naturally as a human, you kind of move over. I was a so little I think nervous. They, I think they, they, they adjusted that. I, 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 I have a Super Cruise Escalade coming in the next few weeks, so I'll, I'll double-check it. But I think they were, they were, they were uh, adjusting that so it nudged over just a, just a scooch, um, just so you wouldn't yeah. have that. Because you'd be driving, and um, on paper and as a math problem, it was correct <laughs> that you were like, oh, yeah, yeah. it's in the center of the lane. <laughs> but, you know, when you're driving, you're like, oh, dear God. I didn't realize how much I, I, I move over. And even if it's only a few inches whenever I pass a big rig in a vehicle. Um, and so I think, yeah. So, yeah, the, the sort of like scooching over just a little bit is, is, is such a human thing to do when you're, when, you, when you're going. Because we know that a wind gust could move that truck into your lane. We know that anything could like sort of move that truck into your lane. And it comes over like a wave, you know, the first and then the back. And then, you know, it doesn't come over as one solid piece. So, so I think as humans, we, 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 uh, we know that there's a potential for danger when we're passing <laughs> the giant truck. And so it's good to see that, that, uh, um, Genesis is, has taken that into account. And I, again, I think they have, they've, they've adjusted it for super cruise, but I'll, I'll, I'll double check in, um, in a, in a, in a week. I don't know. Whenever I get to call. Yeah, I, I drove. I, I drove the, the. I drove the. Uh, the Escalade soup with Super Cruise uh, a couple of months ago, and I didn't really notice it doing that there. Um, but uh, actually, as we're recording this on Wednesday morning or Tuesday morning, tomorrow I'm actually going out to uh, uh, to Milford, uh, the Milford Proving Grounds, GM's Proving Grounds, to drive the GMC Sierra uh, with Super Cruise, oh, and yeah. actually we're actually going to be doing some uh, some towing. With Super Cruise, which will be interesting, and I'll ask them Ooh. about that if they're doing that, because uh, I don't, I don't think that they're, uh, I don't think they're doing that in Super Cruise just yet. Um, but um, you know, the the engine that was in this in this GV80, as I said, was the twin turbo 3.5 V6. Um, it's got uh, 375 uh, horsepower and 391 pounds feet of torque, so it's got. Plenty of performance, eight-speed automatic transmission, very smooth shifting, uh, no issues there. It's got decent steering feel to it, um, and uh, so you know, so this this is Genesis' first uh, SUV that they've launched. They've they've subsequently also launched the GV70, which is a little smaller, based on the the, the G70 platform. Uh, the base price uh, for the G80. Uh, the the or GV80 the uh, most affordable version of it is the 2.5 uh, four cylinder with rear wheel drive which starts at forty nine thousand um, the uh, the Prestige model I drove uh, came to uh, seventy two thousand nine hundred ninety five dollars including the uh, the delivery charge uh, and that includes the Prestige package with the twenty two inch wheels Napa leather. Uh, electronic limited slip rear diff, 
microsuede headliner, the 3D cluster. That's all. All that stuff's part of a $6,600 prestige package. Um, and uh, you know, it was, you know, you, you can, you know, you can probably forego that. You know, um, you know that'll drop you down into the mid 60s uh, if you if you take a pass on that stuff. The uh, the the Lexicon 21 speaker audio system does sound really good. Uh, you know, it's got a really nice audio system. So <laughs> I think if you're driving this thing, you will have you will feel very very comfortable in this. Um, you know, very it's a very serene experience. You know, and I think if as I said, if you're in the market for something like an Audi Q7, BMW X5, maybe a little smaller than an X7, I think. Um, you know, or um, the uh, Mercedes GLS. Uh, I guess this would kind of fall somewhere in between the GLE and the GLS. Uh, you know, I think that this this is definitely something that you ought to be considering if you're if you're in a mar- in the market for something <clears throat> like that. It's it's definitely uh, better. You know, in terms of if you need a three row uh, utility, you know, it it's. It's definitely a much better option than, say, the Lexus RX three-row, which you know, the the RX should not be offered with a three-row. It's too small (laughs) for that. Uh, This this actually has a reasonably usable third row. Uh, You know, it's not huge, but it's it's usable. Um, So you know, I think there's there's a lot to like about this thing. And the the color was great. The 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 sort of burgundy red color that was on it, I thought looked looked fabulous. Uh, and they also have some other really good colors on there. There's a, a really nice dark green that they have. Um, so that is the Genesis GV80. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And let's get into some news items. News, um, news, so news. <laughs> we've we've talked uh, previously, and I, I I think we've talked you know since you guys have been on the show about delivery charges. Um, and I know we definitely talked about it uh, when Dan and Rebecca were still with us. Uh, you know, one of the the things that automakers have been doing over the last couple of years is they've been sneakily raising prices. Um, by raising, increasing the delivery fees, which you know, are mandatory fees that you have to pay. You know, it's not, it's not like you can, you know, skip the delivery fee and just go to the factory gate and pick it up and, you know, and avoid that delivery fee, which can range anywhere from 1000 to $1,700. I think, uh, you know, Ford has is, is really gone overboard with this on the, uh, the new F-150s where they're charging about $1,700 for delivery. You know, wow. This is a mandatory fee, which 
you know, typically in advertising, when they advertise the price of a car, they don't include the delivery charge. It's, but it's something you have to pay. And I, I think, you know, if it's, if it's a mandatory price, a mandatory fee, just roll it into the MSRP and be done with it. But um, there is now a class action lawsuit. And this, this actually goes back a few years, even before the, the delivery charges really started to get out of hand. Um, some, uh, the original suit was fired, filed by the owner of a 2019 Lincoln MKX, uh, purchased the car in, in 2019. Um, and at the, at the time, um, you know, the delivery charge on that, uh, vehicle was just $995. So imagine what this person would have thought if they bought a new F-150. <laughs> Today. Uh, they lose their she, mind. Uh, mind. Uh, according, according to the article here, it says the plaintiff argues that she didn't know at the time that the $995 Ford des- destination fee she paid generated a profit for the automaker and claims that most consumers aren't aware of this fact either. Um, you know, I, I'm not a Does fan of the way difference? they do delivery fees. But does it make a difference? Like, I get the delivery fee is crazy high. Like, okay, it's, it's you yeah. know, the numbers have gotten ridiculous. But what did you think? Like, would you have not bought the car if you thought that wasn't profit? Like, oh, it's just covering their delivery fee. Cool, cool, cool. I'll buy your car. Oh, wait, you're making money on it? I'm out. Forget it. Like, well, the reason yeah. there is kind of weird. Like, you're, you're paying... Who cares whether they make a profit on it or not? You do know it's in there. They do show you. You did go, yup, I'll pay it. But it sounds—it sounds like it's costing them a thousand dollars to move it from point A to point B. That's the, and you feel like, okay, well, I'm, it's like you're paying for shipping when you buy something from, you know, I have to but pay. Like they, they, yeah. like, it's like when I buy something from not from Amazon, from someone else, and it's twenty dollars to ship it. I know that they have to pay twenty dollars to FedEx or UPS or U.S. Postal Service, and it's twenty dollars. This, the, the fact that they call it the delivery fee, and they don't pay that. <laughs> But they don't like, but like your delivery fee well, is always they do your have fee. to pay. Like they have to they pay have to something pay. to ship it to you. But yeah. like when you order on Amazon, it's like okay, we're shipping to or any place. You know, it's like you're on the this half of the country. It's five dollars. You're a little further. It's ten dollars. You're a little further. It's twenty. But you might only maybe it only cost them three dollars and twenty two cents to ship that with packing and everything else. And they actually made a dollar eighty eight on yours. Like you wouldn't like the numbers are way smaller. I mean, a buck eighty eight. You can cares, say the same right? thing about. Ford, but, like it's it's a thousand dollars in Michigan if you buy a Ford. It's a thousand dollars in California if you buy a Ford. Right, but I mean, so even and if like it's you a know. set if it's a set price that they're they're adding to every vehicle, just add it to the price of the car. It's such a it 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 is. Why it, did it, they it, break yeah. it out? Does anybody know? Like, why? What was the so original can, original reason well, for it, saying it, it we used to make be it, separate? It, it it used to be up until I want to say like the late eighties or early nineties. That the delivery fee actually did depend on where the vehicle was coming from. It was variable, so it wasn't the same across the board. So you know, for example, you know, the Ford Rouge assembly plant where they build F one fifties is twenty miles from my house. You know, and you know, I, if I you know bought one up the street here uh, from from my local dealer, I'm pretty sure it wouldn't cost Ford seventeen hundred dollars to ship that vehicle. <laughs> You don't to, think? To my local dealer. You sure? I'm, I'm, I'm fairly confident. I mean, I, I know that, you know, shipping charges can be a little exorbitant sometimes, but I'm pretty sure it doesn't cost them 1700 bucks to get it there. Now, you know, to ship it from Dearborn to, you know, San Diego or to Dallas or somewhere, you know, it's certainly going to cost them more than it's going to sh- cost them to ship it here. 
um, you know, and they use the, the you know the delivery charges used to depend on where you lived and where the vehicle was coming from. At some point, I, I think it was the late '80s or early '90s, they changed that and made it just a flat fee, you know, for any 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 particular model. And it wasn't the same for every model; it was it varied. Um, but you know, it was it was a flat fee no matter where you lived and where it was coming from. And I think that's that's when the problem really started because you know they they wanted to make it simpler. But when they did that, at that point, they should have just said, "Okay, we're just going to roll this into the the sticker price of the car." Now it's become you know kind of a kind of a bait and switch thing because you know they'll advertise a lower price, and then all of a sudden, when you're signing your paperwork, you realize, "Oh, now I've got to pay almost two thousand dollars more than the price that you advertised for this car, for this vehicle because of this shipping fee that's not included on uh, you know on your on your billboard or." You know, on your on your ads, you know, and that I think that is misleading. I think, unfortunately, I think the 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 legal argument that they're making in in this particular lawsuit, I think, is kind of dubious. You know, that that Ford is making a profit on it. I don't care if they're making a profit right. on it. That's you know, the, that's the part that, of the that's lawsuit. Fine. That's what that's, I don't get. That's business. Like I don't get it. I'm yeah. like, okay, you if you can object to what what anybody does with any of the money that you pay them, but they're not. I mean, the fee isn't hidden. Eventually, you do see it. Like you sign that yeah. ginormous form, and there it is. Whatever exorbitant amount you're paying for, de- you know, destination is on there. It's not like they hit it. Like, oh, we charged this and didn't put it on the form. No, it's there. What they use it for, I kind of feel like. However much they make that's, on it, what yeah, they up use to them. it for, that's up to them. Like, do you want to pay this, what we call the dis- destination fee or not? Like, pay it or don't pay it. But what we do with the money once it's Ford's, have at it, Ford. Do whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. So it's a weird, yeah, I guess and that's I, what my issue is. Like, it's a weird legal reason. It's not, this doesn't reflect the genuine destination fees, which would be a more solid reason. It's, I don't like that they're making money. Okay, well, they're going to make money on you <laughs> one way or the other. <laughs> I mean, that's that's why companies are in business, to, to make money off you. Um, so, you know, I, I, would, I would like to, see, you know, ultimately I would like to see, you know, that companies just, like I said, just include it in the sticker price. Just don't, cool. don't break it out, especially if it's, if it's something that you can't opt out of. Just roll it into the price. Yeah, you know, because you're gonna pay it one way or another. You know, if if it's optional, and you can say and and you can and you can say no, I'll take delivery at the factory gates. Fine, then leave it as a, as a separate item. But otherwise, because you know they don't they don't charge you separately for tires or for windshield wiper blades or any other part of the car. This is no different. You know. you know you pay optional you know for more premium versions of some things, but you you. You don't, you know, just for having that there or seats, you know, you don't pay separately for seats. Oh, you know, they do list. I was writing up a car. I wish I could remember which one it was, but I was writing up a vehicle and I had to list, you know, the breakout standard and optional features about the standard features. They proudly listed a steering wheel. I'm like, well, good. I'm glad we don't have to pay. Not like it was a leather covered steering, just like steering wheel. Yes, that is a standard feature on our vehicles. I'm like, well, good for you because I feel like that should be. Well, you don't get it on the Tesla. You don't get a steering wheel. You get a steering yoke a steering so, device a yeah steering maybe device. that's it it's vice grips device. it's vice grips attached to a column <laughs> yeah well i mean you know when when dodge sold the uh the challenger demon a couple of years back you know they um it they actually it only came with one seat it only came with a driver's seat you know if you wanted right. the passenger seat 
you know, you did pay extra for that, but I mean, it was included in a package that was only like a hundred dollars extra. Um, but you know, it was, it was just with a driver's seat, you know, for going to the drag strip, they wanted to make it as light as possible. But, you know, this is something different. Just just roll it into the price and, you know, advertise it that way and be done with it. I'm you cool know, stop with that. Trying I feel to like roll it into the, yeah. yeah. If they would have rolled it into stop, somehow Stop trying to hide price. your price increases. Yeah. If they're yeah. trying to roll it into the price instead of, you know, making it its own little thing, cool, cool, cool. But, like, mad because they are making a profit on it, that's why they're selling you cars. Not out of the goodness of their heart, <laughs> but you make ye oldie money. So get over that. <laughs> yep. The, uh, All right. Next up. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say it's mostly so you can say thirty nine ninety five, you know, for your car, and then when you get there, it's forty two hundred <laughs> or it's forty two thousand. Yeah, it keeps 000. it under that yeah. threshold. You're like, I'm on my under, budget. It does because for especially for California, New York, you have to be under a sixty thousand dollars threshold in order to get the EV credits. Um, so so uh, like Polestar had to move like adjusted the price of their car, the Polestar two, uh-huh. in order to get the EV credit for the state. It's a it's a state. It's not the federal one. You still get the credit, but for for New York and and California, it has to be under sixty thousand dollars. So so Polestar could say, okay, well it's fifty nine nine ninety five. But then if they wanted to, they could put like a four thousand dollar destination fee on their car. And so yeah, you, we can see it, maybe that's ta-da. maybe that's the secret sauce that we don't know. They're keeping the price deceptive. Like they're keeping it under all these thresholds that we don't know about as well, marketing it, people, and that's it. It, in, in California, is is it based on the uh, the base MSRP or the transaction price of the car? Um, so, like, if you if it's fifty nine nine ninety five, and then you get five thousand dollars worth of options, does it become ineligible at that point, or is it still eligible because the base transa- the base sticker price was under sixty grand? Oh, I'll have to check. Okay. Yeah. I just I know, they, they, were, uh, they were they were very much like they were very excited like we got it under this price so now it's going to be available for 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 this thing so it might the the fact that they sent out a press release makes me think that it's possibly like it's the base price versus the the, the buying price but it could just say you know we get you into this thing well yeah you're not going to get to fifteen hundred dollars from California but you got all these sweet sweet options on your Polestar too so it doesn't sweet, really matter sweet options yeah. all these sweet sweet options yeah that it, needs to be the title it, of this podcast know, sweet sweet options <laughs> I, I know in Canada um, you know they had a there was a, a price threshold I think it was um, forty thousand dollars you know to get a certain tax credit for EVs and so Tesla introduced a version of the model 3 that ha- they software limited the battery capacity. So it still it had the same 75 kilowatt hour battery capacity as all the other Model 3s, except they disabled two thirds of it in the in software. So it had a 94 mile range and they sold it for 39,995. So it could get that tax credit. But then, you know, then you'd, you'd pay extra afterwards for an OTA update that unlocked unlock the rest it. of the battery capacity. See, and there's a there way was around just a everything. Story they can make all yeah, the laws just, they I just want to make. Uh, yeah, I, I just saw a, a story. You know that 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 alone has cost Canadian taxpayers something like 115 million dollars in tax credits from people buying this 94 mile range Model Three. Uh, you know when you know, and then just paying for the OTA update after the fact. Um, yeah, and that's why I think you know if you're going to do this sort of thing, if you're going to have a price cap, and I I think it's perfectly legit to have a price cap, you know, on, you know, for tax incentives, um, make it on the transaction price, not on the, uh, not on the base sticker price. So, all right. Uh, I'm just, uh, 
writing down the, the title, Sweet, Sweet Options. <laughs> <laughs> that has to be the title, Sweet, 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 sweet Options. options. <laughs> yeah, they get you. Right. They they pull you uh, in. They get the sweet options on top of you, and, and then they, they get you. and then the destination fee. And now you're walking out with a seventy thousand dollar Polestar two, and you're like, hey, what happened? <laughs> what happened? It's all those sweet yeah. sweet options. All those sweet sweet options. All right. So so speaking of trying to buy anything <laughs> right now, uh, uh, last week uh, on the uh, on the train to uh, Chicago for the abbreviated Chicago Auto Show, I was talking to Michelle Krebs uh, from Cox Automotive. And she was telling me that, because you know, Cox deal, you know, they do a lot of work with a lot of the things, a lot of the, their business units are working with dealers. You know, they provide a lot of the backend services that dealers use, the, the various computer platforms that they use to track vehicles and inventory and sales, and they do auctions and things like that. Um, so they've got access to all kinds of interesting data. And she told me that right now in the U.S., there is 24 days of inventory um, for new vehicles at dealers across the United wow. States. And just for reference, what they normally target, what dealers normally try to have in stock is about 60 to 70 days worth of sales. So, you know, the, whatever, if they sell, you know, five, you know, 10 cars a day, you know, um, they would normally, you know, uh, they would try to have, uh, what, uh, six uh, – 600, 6,000, no, 600 cars. Yeah, 600 cars. Yeah, 600 cars in inventory if they're selling 10 cars a day. Uh, so, you know, bigger dealers would have less inventory. But, six, you know, two months of inventory is what they usually try to keep in stock. Right now they're at 24 days because of all the, the production holdups because of chip shortages. And so, you know, that's, you know, the, the upside of that for dealers is that they don't have to they don't have to uh, haggle on prices, and they're not. They don't have to do any rebates or discounts on cars. So dealers and manufacturers are getting higher transaction prices. And uh, actually, uh, in Ford's June sales release, they announced that their average transaction price in June for all their sales was up to forty-seven thousand um, dollars. But that also means that for customers trying to buy a car, means you have very little choice, and you're not going to get any kind of deal. So. Unless you really, really need to buy a vehicle right now, you're probably better off waiting until later in the fall or early next year. Um, you know when there's more inventory available. Um, have, have, have either of you driven past any car dealerships lately? I have. We actually we actually bought a car not long ago. Oh yeah, so, you just bought one. Yeah. yeah, we just bought one, and it was a. Uh, the dealership, the lot is like empty. Like, you know, normally you drive by the Jeep lot, it happened to be Jeep, and there's just oodles of Wranglers staring at you from the parking lot. And there were, I think, three sitting there. Oof. And he said, you know, these will be gone by the weekend. You know, doesn't because this is all we've got. So they'll be gone. We'll be waiting for the next one. We have people just waiting for cars. And um, it also makes it hard to order what you want. Like he was, uh, the sales guy had ordered something and he said, you know, he'd had it on order for almost two months. I think something that should have taken a matter of weeks to get in, not because Jeep was doing anything wrong, just they can't get what they need to make the cars that they need. And they have all these priorities for what do we, you know, what do we build? What do we ship? We, you know, 
take away from this lineup to, to build more of this one because we're selling more of this one. Oh, wait, now sales are going the other way. We should have put that chip over here, you know? So they're, they, he was saying they're definitely having a challenge getting vehicles because it's just, he said, there's just, there's no inventory. What comes in sells and is gone. Poof. Yeah. From what I've been hearing from various manufacturers, you know, there's a lot of cars that might normally take, you know, 20 to 30 days or more, you know, sitting on the dealer lots before they sell are going, you know, in 10, 15 days, or in some cases, even less, you know, in some cases, you know, single digit number of days, you know, when, when a car gets unloaded off the carrier until the time somebody buys it, you know, it might be a week or less in some cases. Wow. Um, so stuff's, stuff's really moving. There's, there's demand, but not enough supply. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and speaking of not enough supply, um, Rivian um, announced uh, another delay to deliveries of the R1T and the R1S. So <clears throat> if you've got, uh, you know, if you pre-ordered one of those um, and you had the, whatever the, the launch edition or first edition model was, you were expecting to get it this summer, uh, it's going to be at least a couple more months, at least until September um, before they start shipping those. And, you know, in a letter to, to customers, uh, from Rivian, you know, they said, yeah, I mean, it's basically we were having trouble getting parts. We also had delays in getting the plant ready um, because of the, the pandemic. You know, they, they were having trouble getting some of their equipment in and getting everything installed. Um, so everything's just getting backed up. Um, and so they, you know, th- those vehicles uh, won't be hitting the road until at least September, possibly even a little bit longer than that. Um, Do you which, think he'll hit September? Yeah, maybe. 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 We'll see. It's, I, you're I only as, you're uh, only as fast as your as your slowest supplier. That's and and everyone's yeah. supplier is very very. Everyone slow has right someone in there who's really really slow. Yeah. Yeah. yeah um, yesterday I was on a um, a briefing call a roundtable with uh, uh, Duncan Aldred, the um, um, head of GMC. Uh, at, uh, at General Motors, and um, you know, one of the things he talked about was the launch of the GMC Hummer EV, and he said, right now we're they're still on track to deliver those this fall, sometime really? this fall. Uh, yeah, he he didn't say when December twentieth. Yeah, didn't say how many. <laughs> one. Yeah. No. I mean, they'll 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 hand one over shits. three of them. You know, you on go. December thirtieth. We have yeah, delivered so, in twenty twenty one. Woohoo! <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's um yeah, so he didn't say how many, but he did say they would be they would be coming out this fall. Um he also dodged the question I asked of, you know, why does this thing weigh nine thousand pounds? Didn't decline not to he, answer that one. Or he didn't to answer, answer. That. I still would have where does that come from? I just I need to know why the thing weighs so much. It drives me I don't know why it bothers uh, me, but I'm like, why? The roof why, why, panels why? are very I know. Heavy. <laughs> it's like yeah. I, I don't know. It's got a bed. What's going on? Cast iron cat Cast iron skid plates, man. I tell you. That's cast iron skid plates. Cast iron skid that plates. They're six inches thick. Yeah. And <laughs> Everything, lead. lead. Yeah. All lead. All lead. Superman will see nothing yeah, when they, he looks they, inside that car. Everything's lead. <laughs> they, they, they decided that the, the Altium batteries weren't going to work, and they're just going to go with lead-acid batteries. 200 kilowatt hours of lead-acid batteries. That's why it weighs yeah. 9,000 pounds. Lead, lead, There lead. you go. Done and done. All right. Uh, continuing with the EV theme, uh, the Chevy Bolt. Um, if you have one from the first three model years, so before they did the 
the first refresh where they bumped it from a 60 kilowatt hour battery pack to a 65 kilowatt hour battery pack. Uh, so these were built from 27, 2017 to 2019. Um, don't park it in your garage and um, oh, you know, yeah. leave it outside when you're charging it because they've been having some issues with fires um, as, as some other, you know, and they're, GM's not the only one. Um, you know, Hyundai had an issue with the Kona EV, um, and you know they're actually using the LG Chem cells and those same ones that uh, I don't know if they're the same ones, but they're from the same factory that uh, GM was using uh, for the Bolt. Um, the newer, apparently, the newer Bolts uh, built from 2020 onwards that have the newer battery pack do not have this problem, but the older ones did have this issue and. GM's not talking specifics about what's you know, what's the cause is, but it it sounds like it's um, contamination inside the cell. So, and and this is something that happened to both Ford and BMW in Europe last year um, with some of their plug-in hybrids, with the the Kuga, which is the European version of the Escape uh, plug-in hybrid, and also the um, some of the BMW plug-in hybrids. They were using Samsung uh, batteries. Uh, from a plant built in Hungary, um, and they were having some fires. And it turned out that the problem was when you know when you when you build these cells and you assemble it into a pack, you have to weld the terminals on the cells to make you know to connect them all together to make it into one big battery pack. And there was a, a an issue with the process of welding those terminals that was causing um, little. Uh, chunks of copper or aluminum to form inside the cell and that's a bad that's thing because then you get Yikes. Then, then that's when you get short circuits and then and short circuits are when you get battery fires so yeah. bad bad thing so gm already did a, a a software update that was supposed to limit the charging capacity of the bolt batteries but apparently at least two cars since the software update have also caught fire. fire. So now they're wow. just warning customers to park your car. Don't park your car in the garage, you know, or, you know, as soon as it's done charging, unplug it and put it outside. Le- you know, make sure you leave, you know, you're trying to minimize the risk if a fire does happen. So, so the, the CNBC article that you have put up there that has a picture of a, the burned shell of a bolt that, Caption cracks me up. The Vermont State Police released this photo of the 2019 Chevy Bolt EV that caught fire on July 1st, 2021 in the driveway of State Rep Timothy Briglin, a Democrat. Like, that has anything to do with anything. <laughs> like, it was just like, <laughs> we must tell you what his party was because that's relevant. The Bolt's like, oh, I'm going to catch fire. He's a Democrat. Like, it's just well, the weirdest or, caption. Or even the fact that he's a state rep, you know. Like, <laughs> just he caught fire on July 1st in the driveway of its owner. Who cares whose car it was? It was not a targeted battery fire. I, I remember when the Hyundai, um, the Kona recall was happening, <clears throat> or before, or during, and whatever. But they, like, Hyundai and LG were like, we don't know. We just don't. They, they were like, we're going to recall these. We're not 100% sure why these are catching fire. It was just like, we're just throwing our hands in the air and saying, you know what? Forget it. We don't know why. Just bring us your car and we'll fix it. It was, yeah. And there was like indication that there was some, some sort of contamination, which makes sense because, you know, like you said, short circuits equal heat, heat equals fire, fire equals you're having a bad day. Um, but yeah, they were just like, oh. extremely bad day. 
<laughs> yeah, here's like so. So why are these? Like, uh, we we don't we have no idea. We keep checking everything. We're not sure why. They At just, least they're uh, like, hey, we'll, we'll we'll take it back because we have no idea what the heck's going on. I don't know. If we admit it. Like, okay, something's broken. Who knows what? <laughs> We're not sure what it is. We're just gonna swap this stuff out and just we'll move go some on. things around. <laughs> move see what happens. <laughs> Shake it. Kick it a few times. <laughs> kick it. You just you kick it a few times. See if that takes care of it. Take it out. Blow on it like a Nintendo yeah, not- cartridge from the from the eighties. <laughs> yeah. Knock, knock those out. little knock those little copper particles out. Yeah. Exactly. You'll be all good. You just need to blow on it like I, I like your theory, Roberto. Just blow on it like a Nintendo cartridge every time, <laughs> and then Put you're it back good. In. <laughs> Perfect. What could go wrong? All right. Uh, finally, with with uh, EVs, um, the EU last week um, put out um, some draft legislation that uh, for new regulations for CO two emissions um, from uh, from a whole bunch of things, but particular cars, um, they want to raise or lower the CO two emissions fleet CO two emissions limit um, down to. Uh, uh, not sure what the exact threshold is, but basically that the, the previous, the current requirement um, would reduce CO2 emissions by 37.5% by 2030. They're increasing that to 55%. And then they want to cut CO2 emissions from vehicles to by 100% uh, by 2035, which would in effect ban any sales of new internal combustion vehicles and even hybrids. Um, you know, if, if you want a hundred percent reduction, you can't even have hybrids at that point. It's all got to be either battery electric or fuel cell. Um, what do you think? You know, is this, is this practical? Can we get there? It's I think it, 14 it's years. Little, yeah. But there, have you looked at what they're requiring? Like I'm scanning through this article and it's in its proposal. It wants member countries to install charging stations, no more than one every 37.3 miles apart on major roads by 2025. That's four years, a charging station in every yeah. basically 40 miles. That's that's a significant investment. I mean, I believe that they'll... I, I don't, if, it if there was a well, gas... I mean, you know, we've, they, got, we've got gas stations at least that far apart. At least yeah, every, but like gas... Like, yeah, but... <laughs> every 20 feet. <laughs> every every five inches. But I mean, it. I don't know. If you're, if you're if you're if you're BP or whatever other you know if if you're a British uh, gas station, um, this is how you make money. Is that this okay? There's a proposal. You know what? We can do this because we already have the inf- we already have the land. We already have the infrastructure. We already have power because we have to power our gas stations and the little you know the the food marts. Um, we're gonna put these in. You're gonna pay us. Awesome. I mean the the infrastructure is there. Yeah, it's, just, it's 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 really down to these companies saying, "Oh, who wants to be first? Where we we're going to get paid to do this." Um, and so you know you have EA, which in, in in I guess Europe they have Ionity and a couple other places, but yeah, uh, 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 you know a, a BP or an Exxon Chevron or whatever I don't know all the gas stations in Europe, but yeah. Um, if they were smart, they would. Uh, one of them would 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 try to jump ahead of everybody else and say, you know what? Because this is going to happen, whether or not I partake in it or not, I should try to make some money so that I still have people coming into my stations and buying beef jerky and fancy waters. Fancy and, waters. And in Europe, you know, both both Shell and BP have have been buying up uh, charging networks um, in the UK and and across Europe. You know, and expanding them, you know, putting putting those charging stations at, you know, at their gas stations, you know, and at their, their roadside service stations. So, um, you know, I think I think we will see this 
this happen. I think you know this is this is the direction that everybody's going. Um, you know, I think, and and the UK has actually said that they want to ban sales of new uh, internal combustion vehicles by 2030. And in Norway, it's the date the drop dead date is 2025. You know, I mean, Norway is a much smaller market, but. You know, after and they're that, all you know, no more they internal have combustion. so many EVs in Norway. That place is Norway's yeah. just EVs. Every, I, I was in Norway Every, walking along the highway. They had this like really nice, this busy highway, and there was this rather nice trail next to it. And it was the most bizarre thing because it's mobbed. Like the highway is like three lanes in each direction. And it's totally full of traffic, and it had the sound of like a quiet little two lane road in the U S because there's so many, yeah, it was just the, the just, cars whooshing through the air. It was like, there's no there. And every now and then an engine would happen. You're like, Oh, someone mm. has an actual engine in there. <laughs> it was very weird. Yeah. They, and they have EV charging stations everywhere. And what they have is instead of having the, the cable that goes into your car, they have a port on the charging station. That way, whatever like weird port you have on your car, you just bring your, it's BYOC. Bring your own cable. We, you just plug it in and plug it into up, the thing. And like, it's like, we drove oh. this like mountain. It was like these twisty turny, like I, I, if your car was too long, I don't think you could have made the turns to get to the top of it, to go to some place for dinner, which was very good. But we get up there, it's in the middle of nowhere. It is one little house that has, you know, can seat maybe 60 people and they have an EV charging station right there in the parking lot. I'm like, seriously, I can't get one at like the local Walmart, but you guys have one up here on a mountain for one restaurant. Yeah. It's, <laughs> and, 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 well, in Norway, over 50% of new vehicle sales in Norway are EVs now. So, you know, I think they were the first country to, to break that 50% barrier. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's right. it's essentially what California is doing to twenty by that twenty thirty five time period. It's fourteen years. They're not taking away the gas car that you own. I know a lot of people. <laughs> and I wrote the twenty thirty five article about California. People were like, "They're gonna take our car." I'm like, "No one's taking your car." In twenty thirty four, you can buy a gas car <laughs> and do whatever the hell you want to do with it. Um, in twenty thirty five, still go to Nevada and buy one. Yeah, you can go to Nevada where the laws don't exist. <laughs> And buy your gas car, and you know, live in Tahoe, and 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 register your car in Reno if you're, if you're that insane, you know, if you I gotta have a Challenger, which probably won't be around by, then. it'll be Aww. the the hell Panda. the Hellcat EV, and it'll have. <laughs> Like the, what would the, would it be like a Hellcat, but instead of like the demon had red eyes, they put like little lightning bolts in his eyes, maybe? Like, yeah, yeah, they have those like bolts. those cool little lightning bolts. <laughs> yeah, little lightning bolt eyes instead of the evil red demon eyes. There you go. <laughs> I'm gonna shock you like Raiden. We got your marketing right here, Dodge. Right here. <laughs> All right. Okay. Um, so before we get into listener questions, um, as I mentioned, I, I was in Chicago last week for the abbreviated auto show. I had a chance to chat with Trevor Scott, who is the marketing manager for the Ford Maverick. And uh, we'll drop that interview in here if you're a Patreon supporter. It's been in there since uh, since last Thursday. Um, but uh, now the rest of you get to hear it. Uh, it's about 15 minutes. Um, and then after that, we'll be back with listener questions. So... This is the first public viewing of the uh, the new Maverick. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. We're excited to be here. Yeah. So, yeah, it's been a while since Ford has done a truly compact pickup, mm -hmm. you know, and and this thing, uh, you know, fall, actually size-wise, length-wise, it falls right in between where the the old Ranger yep. extended cab and regular cab fell in. So it's a fair bit shorter. It's about what, 10 inches shorter than a current generation Roughly Ranger. Roughly about 10, 11 inches shorter than yeah. current Ranger. Yep. So. 
there's been a lot of people, you know, over the years that have talked about wanting a smaller pickup truck. Um, you know, how much demand do you think there actually is for a truck in this size? And you know, what? Why? Why now? Why? Why is now the time to bring a smaller truck like this to market? It's a great question. I think there's. I mean, really from. No, well, good. Thank you. Sorry. Really, since we revealed uh, in early June, uh, the reaction from a customer perspective has been off the charts. There's been a lot of demand. Um, we obviously opened our reservation experience, and we're seeing that firsthand with the number of reservations that are coming in. What I will tell you is. We're seeing a lot of customers coming, as we anticipated, from other vehicle segments, right? So this isn't just truck customers looking at Maverick as an alternative truck. This is sedan, small utility customers that previously would have never expected or even entertained looking at a truck, that based on the total package, based on the fuel economy, based on the, the passenger seating, and I think just the versatility that the bed affords them, are looking at a truck for the first time. Um, and that's what we expect to play out when we launch the vehicle this fall, is a lot of customers that are looking at a truck as first-time contenders. So you think uh, a lot of people who in the past might have bought a, a Fiesta or a Focus or Correct. a Fusion are now looking to maybe upsize a little bit and get into something like this? Well, previously they didn't have a lot of choice, right? Yeah. So if you wanted something with a really strong fuel economy, you had to buy a small car. Right. And then you were compromising the, the space in the interior where you couldn't store as many things because you just didn't have the, the size of the vehicle that you needed. Maverick kind of eliminates that issue, right? You don't have that compromise because you get the 40 MPG in the city, you get the 500 miles of range, but you can still fit, you know, your friends and family, and you get the extra bonus of being able to throw stuff back in the truck bed. So, one of the one of the fascinating things about this, when when the announcement was made, you know, starting at twenty thousand dollars, is the the most affordable Ford branded vehicle you can get now that the, the cars are gone. Yep. Um, it's uh, the most affordable hybrid of any kind in yep. the U.S. market. Yep. The most affordable pickup truck by a pretty significant margin over mm -hmm. the the one competitor that you will have when mm -hmm. this launches this fall. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what was the the rationale, you know, in kind of aiming for that that price target, and and why, you know, or I guess why and and how were you able to hit that price target with a standard hybrid powertrain? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I think when we went back. You know, just a few short years ago and announced that we were moving away from sedans. Obviously, that left sort of a, uh, a potential opportunity in the overall Ford showroom from an entry-level affordability perspective, right? And Ford obviously has all the credibility when it comes to trucks. And when we looked at what we wanted to try and introduce in that space, we wanted to leverage a lot of the efficiencies and the learnings that we had from the rest of the portfolio. And so Maverick actually shares its platform with both Bronco Sport and Escape. So there's a lot of learnings and a lot of efficiencies just in how we've actually designed the platform and then actually used that platform and the flexible architecture of that platform to extend the wheelbase for Maverick and deliver the truck attributes that we were after. Um, and so I think knowing that we needed that affordable vehicle and knowing that for customers to truly consider a truck of this size, fuel economy needed to be an important part of that. Um, the standard hybrid just made all the sense in the world. And we've certainly made sort of decisions on what feature content is most important to this customer to make sure that we can actually afford to offer a vehicle at a sub $20,000 price point and still, right, and still operate efficiently and still operate profitably. How, you know, how much did, you know, the, the, the shift by Ford to these five global flexible uh, platform architectures help to enable you to do this? Because I know back 
decade ago when the previous Ranger was discontinued in North America. You know, um, Ford talked about, you know, for a small truck, you know, at that time at least, you know, a small truck, it cost them almost as much to build it as it did to build an F-150. Yeah. You know, but people weren't, you know, weren't or couldn't spend that much on a small truck. Does does that shift to the C2 platform? Is that what enabled you enabled Ford to do this? That that among a number of other things, right? I mean, I think certainly that flexible architecture in the platform this was a huge enabler. But also a lot of the common parts that we're able to share with other vehicle lines on this platform, like Bronco Sport as an example, helps afford a lot of efficiencies in the build process as well as in the upfront engineering process, right? Because that's really where we had the opportunity to, to save a lot of time and investment was in that upfront engineering process. And when you have the shared architecture, the shared platform, and a lot of the shared parts, it helps cut down on that total engineering bill when you're trying to bring a vehicle like this to market. Okay, it makes it possible for you to offer it at this price point and, exactly. and still be ec- economically viable from a business perspective Absolutely. before. Yep. So, Absolutely. Um, you know, one of the things we've noticed in the, you know, the specifications for this truck, um, you know, standard hybrid, but that's only with front-wheel drive. Correct. No four-wheel drive hybrid option. Is that something that at some point in the life cycle of this vehicle we might see? It's something that we're obviously monitoring, right? I mean, I think, you know, the beauty of this vehicle is how quickly we were able to bring it to market. We shaved roughly about 20 months of typical development time off of this truck, so we brought it to market in just over 30 months, um, and that's actually remarkable considering that typically it takes, you know... So early, early 2019, kind of, yeah, late, kind of late, like 18, late 2018 is really kind of when, you know, kind of, you know, we said all systems go. So... Given how quickly we're able to bring a lot of those things to market, we have all-wheel drive hybrids, as you yeah, know. Yeah, escape. And, exactly, yeah. right, available across the lineup. So it's something we'll continue to monitor, and um, if it's something that merits you know, entertaining down the road, then we'll certainly look at that. Okay. I think you know, one of the really interesting things you know, when, when this was announced uh, a month or two ago uh, you know, in the, the presentations was a lot of emphasis on you know, DIY customers mm-hmm. that want to do their own thing. Yep. You know? yep. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of accessories you can, you can buy, you know, and the same goes for you know, this vehicle's uh, SUV siblings, you know, especially the Bronco Sport. You've got a lot of partners doing a lot of different um, uh, accessories, yep. but you're also offering the option for customers to, to do their own thing and even providing instructions for that. Yeah, I know. It feels a little bit ironic, right? I mean, obviously, you certainly want to make sure the customers um, are aware of and have the availability to purchase a lot of our Ford accessories. But what we recognize is the customer that is after this truck, affordability is at the top of their list for purchase reasons, right? And so when you get past the point of purchasing the truck, we want to make sure that they've got the ability to actually customize and personalize their truck affordably as well. So we'll have all those accessories available at at, that point of sale, but for the customers that truly want to be able to do things like put a bike rack in or just simple bed dividers, showing them how they can do that, right? Here's the list of materials that you can get at your local hardware store, and here's the step-by-step on how you can do that. That's, in our mind, I think truly powerful in giving the customer that optionality in terms of choosing which path they want to go down. And then molding in slots into the bed to yeah. enable them to easily do that. Exactly, I think, yeah. I think that was a really cool feature. Yep. What, what are some of the other unique features on this truck um, you know, that, that you've done, uh, particularly in the interior? I know there, there's, some, there's some stuff that you've done that's different from what's been on previous vehicles i think for me it's the storage right so you look at a compact pickup like this and you might expect well yeah you got the bed but where else am i going to put stuff well i think the way that the design team approached this truck 
and how they engineered the overall design. You take the doors as an example, right? So the cantilever design of the door handle is actually what enables the ability to pull t uh, tall one liter water bottles right in the door pockets, right? So all four doors are designed in that fashion. The pockets are so deep, you can put laptops, so they actually extend all the way back here okay, all the way into the in door. So you can put laptops, tablets, there's all kinds of storage space just in the doors alone, and then it extends into the second row. So in the second row, you can lift the uh, second row seat up here, and you've got large storage bins underneath where, you, again, you can keep hidden items like... Similar to what you've got in the F-150 with the, the pop-up storage exactly. under the second yep. row. Exactly, right? So there's lots of storage capability in the truck beyond just the, the flex bed itself. And that's, I think, kind of what intrigues me the most is you get the ability to, to store stuff, hide it, and still use all the passenger seating that you got in the truck. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, I sat in the back seat of this thing, and it, you know, it's fairly roomy, you know, yeah. even even for adults. I mean, you, three three adults across the back of this, I think, you know, will can, not can not be uh, not be uncomfortable. Yep, absolutely. Yep. And extending upon the DIY um, story that you were talking about earlier, you'll see on the back of the first row console here, we have this slot. What we're calling it is our Ford integrated tether system. And our intention is we'll have a number of accessories available uh, for purchase, so cup holders, storage bins, you name it. But what we intend to do is alongside the step-by-steps that we're going to provide on DIY experiences in the flex bed, we're also going to provide the CAD data so customers that are familiar with 3D printing can actually create their own accessories. Yeah, download that, that data, build their the data build their model. to the printer, and then actually go ahead and customize and build their own 3D printed accessories. So if they if somebody wanted to do a, a holder for a, for a tablet for the kids tablet riding in the back seat, or a phone holder, yeah. you could literally produce that on your own and make it your own accessory just based on the CAD data that we we'll provide. And it's them. there right next to the USB ports, so you, you know, easy to plug in. Yep, yep, you got it. Very cool. All right, so I got to ask one question. You know, I've I've watched. Um, a number of uh, Sandy Monroe's teardown videos of late. I'm, I'm sure you probably yep. have as well. Yep. Um, if, you, if you've ever watched his videos, one of the things that he harps on about endlessly is fasteners. You know, mm -hmm. He was a Ford engineer a long time ago. Hates fasteners. I'm looking at these door, these cantilever door handles. Yeah. Looks like there's four bolts in there. Is there actually four fasteners holding that on? You know, it's, or, it's, or is that just molded in just for appearance? You thing? know what? It's a good question, Sam. To be honest with you, I don't know the answer to that. Okay. <laughs> I should probably find that out. But my hunch is is that that's more for decorative purposes than it is for functional purposes. Okay. Yes. All right. But it's a it's a great question. You well, stopped me. I mean, this, this, I think this is going to be a very interesting segment to watch because, you know, it's a segment that we haven't had in the U.S. market for a long time, yep. you know, at least, yep. at least a decade, uh, you know, because everything, all the other trucks Grew that used size. to be small, you know, they're, they're mid-sized trucks now, yep. Ranger and all its competitors. Yep. And it's going to be fascinating to watch, you know, how the, the U.S. market takes to vehicles like this and it's it's one other competitor at the moment i agree i yeah. agree but i will tell you early reaction thus far has been really positive um from what we've heard from our ford dealers and what we're seeing based on the reservations that we have coming through it's very encouraging in terms of what we're seeing from the customers that are looking at maverick for the first time uh, you've got three trim levels available xl xlt and, and lariat. lariat yep um you know are, do you have any data yet on or any uh, projections on what kind of split you might expect to see between those trims? We're, we're seeing roughly about 20% um, on our XL series. Um, the XLT model, which we're showing here, is roughly around 50 to 55%. 
and then you've got Larry that kind of you know makes up the difference. So a fairly typical pretty, pretty even like spread. Ranger, yeah, exactly know, right. Spread. But most of your volume kind of in that XLT model, which is consistent with Ranger, consistent with F one fifty as well. Okay. Yep. Great. Well. Thank, thank you so much, Trevor. Absolutely. Always great to talk to you, and, and uh, hopefully, uh, hope, hope this thing is a huge success. Yeah. I, I, you know, we, we need more different vehicles like this. Well, we look forward to having you out at the media drive. Let's dive into some listener questions. We got a few this week. Um, first one from Adam Jackalenko. Uh, Adam asks, uh, "I've been trying to help my very uncar, my very car unsavvy aunt." figure out her next vehicle and i'm looking for your thoughts she currently has a 2018 honda crv and before that she had a 2011 rav4 so she likes that type of vehicle because they don't make that because they make her feel a little safer and of all-wheel drive but she doesn't really need to be that she doesn't really need it to be that big uh, her lease is coming up on her crv in october and she doesn't really want to keep it even though she has a buyout option because it has no features or options not even any kind of touchscreen or backup camera Actually, I think both of those are on the 2018 standard, but that's beside the point. Uh, but I looked at I looked up the value of it uh, because she only has uh, 8,000 miles on it and almost three years. Uh, and so I told her that she should buy out the vehicle and just hang on to it for a while because the MSRP was 21,000 and the current market value is 18,500. So she would be giving a huge gift back to the dealer if she returned it at the lease at the lease end. Uh, so given uh, that she might hang on to it for a while longer, and we have some time, but I would like her to start thinking about what to get next time when the market is a little bit better for a new car. Her only real requirement is all-wheel drive because she lives in uh, upstate New York. Um, she wants it reliable and something that's a little higher off the ground, so not a sedan or a hatchback. Uh, she doesn't need tons of bells or whistles. Her budget is about twenty-two dollars to $24,000. Ideally, it would be new, but used is okay if it was only one or two years old. But it seems there are so many options in this category, it's hard to choose. Kia Seltos, uh, Nissan Kicks, Honda CRV, Buick Encore, um, Volkswagen Taos, Mazda CX-3. Uh, Toyota Corolla Cross, etc. Would love to hear you top your top one or two options. Thanks and love the show. Well, so, I can right off the um, bat, the Kicks doesn't have all-wheel drive, so the Kicks is it, you're right, yeah, is off yeah. your list. So if you're going Nissan, you've got to yeah. go with the Rogue Sport, which does offer all-wheel drive and is kind of fits her thing. You know, it's a little bit higher, a little bit off the ground, has decent safety features, and it's pretty cheap. Um, so, yeah, if you're looking at Nissan, the Rogue Sport would be the one. Just as a heads up, kicks won't work. <laughs> yep. Uh, take that off the list. Take it off the list. Um, I am a fan of the Kona. I think mm -hmm. the Kona is, is a great yeah. little car. You get a lot of you get a lot of value for your money. Um, you can get an all-wheel drive version. It starts at within that price range that uh, she is talking about. Um, yeah, I, I, I like – I think the – the CRV and the RAV4 have sort of been priced out of that range that that, that he's talking Absolutely. about. So the, the Kona might be the the, the way the to Seltos go. The Seltos would work too. I think the Seltos will pop into that price range. I think in the base trims. I, I, I'm pretty I think so. Sure. Yeah, I think I think you're right. Yeah. I think there's uh, even wait. There's a and, Mazda that does it too. What's is it the one? Yeah, that's the Mazda CX30. Yeah, the, the CX30 fits, starts at about would, twenty-two. Yeah, so the CX thirty would work too. And, so there's and those and are all, those are all in that same you know slightly smaller than a CRV uh, yeah. segment. You know, so I I think I think those would be great choices. And you know, if she you know if she doesn't want to wait, um, you know, I think you know I, what I, what I would do is I would suggest um, you know 
going to Carvana, seeing what they will offer you on that trade-in, because you'll probably get a great price from Carvana for a a CRV with only 8,000 miles on it. And my guess is um, the buyout price (laughs) right now, you know, based on that lease, is probably several thousand dollars less than what Carvana will probably pay you for that thing right now. Uh, so maybe you know do the buyout and then immediately turn around and sell it to Carvana, you know. So now you you po- make a little profit on that instead of giving that profit to the dealer because the you know and that's what Adam's referring to there. You're you know the dealer is going to be making a, a hefty profit on that because the the that buyout price is probably somewhere in the neighborhood of I'm guessing fifteen grand fourteen fourteen to fifteen thousand dollars. Um, and you know, that, that used CRV right now will probably go for closer to 19 to 20, uh, the way, uh, used car prices are right now. So do the buyout, turn around, sell it to Carvana, and then take your profit and, you know, turn it into one of these others like a CX 30 or the Kona, um, and, uh, and then go from there. You know, I think the, let's see what the, what's the Kona EV go for with all wheel drive. I think you can get that for. For about twenty-four grand uh, with all-wheel drive, so you know I think that that's a great choice, yeah. um, you know, and 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 there are several other options as well. But I think Kona or CX thirty or Saltos would probably be the ones I would I would recommend. Yeah, yeah. The the Rogue the Rogue Sport's kind of at the end of its life cycle. It's going to yeah. be replaced soon with a with an all-new model. They just launched it in Europe uh, as the Cash uh, um, Guy, I think is yeah, is what Cash it's called guy. in Europe. So. Uh, all right. Elliot Johnson asks, uh, you're recently talking about one pedal driving and how you enjoy cars with strong regen. I have friends with EVs who fear being rear ended when driving this way because the brake lights don't activate when you just take your foot off the accelerator. Uh? So they've started uh. feathering the brake pedal, not to stop, but to signal cars behind, uh, similar to recent autonomous technologies that hand back driving at any moment. This sounds to me like a technology is making cars more dangerous. Do you agree? Should car makers fix this? Best regards, Elliot Johnson. All the cars. Um, no, I don't that, agree. When, whenever I take because I because I, I remember when 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 uh, one pedal driving was like a you know when the Nissan and the the Bolt the Leaf and the Bolt um, when you take your foot off the gas or, or off the accelerator like I would I double checked and like yeah the the brake light comes on so I don't I'm, I'm yeah I had actually they, I, I believe I had asked in one vehicle and I want to say remember it was the Leaf and they said no 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 if it's if it's braking. Like if you're if it's braking, even though you're not putting your foot in the brake, we're going to show brake lights so people know you're slowing down. So I don't know where they got the. And I'm wondering, is there a threshold? Like if you just eased up off the gas a there, little bit, there, there is there is a threshold. It's typically somewhere around 0.05 G's decel, which is you know that's that's kind of like what you're going to get from uh, you know just engine braking when you're coasting when you lift off. You know you'll yeah. get about 0.04 0.05 G's of decel. Anything over that. So any any kind of significant regen, they will turn on the brake lamps, um, you know, even even without touching the brake pedal, because for this very reason. So um, yeah, the it's it's not an issue. This is something that the industry has already thought of, and they've they've already addressed this. Going back to the original Mini E um, test fleet that Mini launched back in two thousand eight, um, you know, because they were they were the first ones to do this really strong regen. And those those also turned on the brake lights as soon as you lift off the accelerator pedal. So not an issue, Elliot. Don't worry about it. Um, tell your friends they don't need to feather the brake pedal. 
um, you know, the light, the brake lights will come on when, when they're using uh, one pedal driving. Uh, what is All the right. other one? Next up, yeah. um, Dutch, Dutch Mandel asks, uh, why, are we, why aren't we talking about the use of autonomous vehicles that transport things, robots for warehouses, robots for mail delivery, et cetera, um, than, is in the, uh, et cetera, than is in the public domain currently? Are we unable to wrap our heads around that? I have written extensively um, about this for Car and Driver and TechCrunch. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> uh, no, it's, it's it's you know we have those tiny little robots that transport you know items, but I think you're going to see a lot more uh, um, autonomous vehicles for trans for for transporting. Thing actually makes a lot more sense than autonomous vehicles for transporting humans, because they're they're typically set on a on a, on a there's typically a set route. They have a, an area which, which, which within they, they operate. They typically will operate at, during the times when people aren't around. You know, you're at work. It's, you know, it's off peak hours. You know, you know typically you're not going to get a, a, a delivery at 9 a.m. from UPS just because it doesn't make sense for UPS to have someone on the road stuck in traffic. Um, and so, yeah, the, the, the sort of autonomous uh, delivery system does make a bit more sense, uh, but you still have to have someone bring things from the uh, vehicle to your door. Um, if 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 I'm in my office working and I work from home and I'm let's say I'm podcasting and a vehicle shows up in my house with the delivery and I have to get up, leave the podcast or leave what I'm doing and go and take it out of the vehicle, that's that that does. There's no benefit in that. So you you know you still have. That sort of it, it, you know, people still want things dropped off at their door. It's the last fifty foot problem. Yeah, it's the last yeah. fifty foot problem. So it, you know, we're we're still sort of figuring. They're still sort of being figured out. But uh, but for for warehouses, you know, Amazon already has like weird little robots that run around and do something. Um, and then you know, for delivery, I think that's 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 just going to continue to to grow at some point. I think. Uh, there, there's still going to be a delivery person inside the vehicle. Um, they might not have to drive anymore. They might be in the back getting ready for the next delivery, which they will, you know, then put on a pallet like uh, Bright Drops, like EPAT, like uh, e, I think it's what's it called? Anyway, they have a, a mechanical pallet. Uh, yeah, Toyota, so they Toyota can, is the e-pallet. I forget what the Bright Drop. Yeah, so Toyota has an e-pallet. Bright Drop has something a pallet like where you just put you can put a lot of items on, and so they would park at the end of the block, and then this pallet, which is powered by electricity they could you know sort of lead that along and then take things out and drop it in front of the houses and you know they they do the whole block they get back in the truck the truck is already set up it's already checked out uh, traffic and where where it needs to go next and then it it sets on its way and then the person in the back can either reload the pallet or get the next pallet ready it's you know i think uh, autonomous delivery again it, it, it makes more sense because it's uh, it, it's a geofenced area, which is uh, not as difficult to for an autonomous system to to learn. And um, you know, there there are a bunch of companies that are more focused on the the whole delivery market. Companies like Gaddick, Neuro, um, you know, which has gotten a fair bit of attention. You know, they've got a a smaller delivery vehicle with a couple of compartments in it that they've been testing for several years now in places like Houston and and Phoenix and and now in the Bay Area. Um, and there's also even smaller ones, you know, these little delivery bots, these little rovers. Um, in fact, uh, Yandex, the Russian search engine company, which also has uh, their own automated driving program, uh, in addition to their their 
passenger vehicles, they have Yandex rovers, and they just announced uh, like last week, I think last week or the week before, uh, a deal with Grubhub. Yandex, the Yandex rovers, there's been a couple of Yandex rovers making deliveries in downtown Ann Arbor since last March. Um, I met up with them back in April, and uh, you know, got a, a demo of it. Uh, you know, and it's it's a little looks like a little wagon. You know, six wheels and a lidar sensor on the top, some cameras, and you know, it drives around downtown Ann Arbor. You know, making deliveries from Amir's Deli and, and other places to um, University of Michigan dorms and anybody else you know, within a couple miles radius. Um, and there's another Ann Arbor-based company called Refraction AI doing the same sort of thing. They've got they've got a, a delivery bot. Um, so the Yandex deal with Grubhub, they're going to be uh, deploying a bunch of these. Um, Grubhub currently has um, deals with like 250 uh, universities uh, across the United States, university and colleges across the U.S. Um, not all of them are going to get these right away, but probably a, a dozen or so to start um, where they'll be using these, you know, to drive on you know sidewalks and things like that so it is happening deliveries deliveries are are happening for automated vehicles all right dutch has had another question as well what is the likelihood that we'll see more non-traditional automotive companies get into the electric and autonomous vehicle space what kinds of companies could they be so we've seen a bunch of tech companies get into this sector you know obviously google and baidu uh in china and and uh Tencent and others have made investments in, in AVs and electric vehicles. Um, you've got a lot of EV startups in China. Um, you know, you've got some here as well, like Fisker and Lucid. Um, but what do you guys think? I think there's still going to be companies who try to get into it. I don't think it's a matter of are there companies that are going to attempt to get into the space? Sure, there are. How many of them are actually going to be able to pull it off? <laughs> That's a that's really the question, and I don't think most of them are going to be able to pull it off. I'm sure there will be some that will will do it and will succeed. But building a car, whether it's an EV or a traditional gas engine, is a complicated process, and it's expensive as heck. And the supply chain, and the production issues, and the legal issues, and adhering to the nine zillion government regulations, and it's a process. So I think even if you have great technology and a great idea and you know, like this is going to be an amazing vehicle, there's a lot of pieces to pull together there that makes it a challenge for even a well thought out new cup, new product to succeed. I mean, heck, they have a hard time with products from existing OEMs that they make a product and they think it's great. And it's like, nope, we made one false move and this product fell flat. So if you've never done it before, I think your chances for success are, are, not great, but I'm sure there's going to be a bunch you try. It's such a huge gamble because building one car to show off at a show that maybe drives, that's incredibly hard. Building a hundred of them, that's impossible. Now scale that. <laughs> scale that to where you're building a hundred thousand yeah. of them. That's, it's, it's mind-boggling. It's incredibly difficult. The uh, Silicon Valley is littered with the, the tattered remains of EV startups that came and went. It's like when you go to, to auto shows and there's always those there's like those 20 or 30 supercar startups that have always been around and they only still have that one car. And it's always, you know, somebody who's super rich, who's had an idea and they built one car and they've just been, they've just been dragging it around in like order vector. to hang out at. Yeah. Yeah. You're just dragging the same like fancy car around to, to just to be at auto shows. Um, when you're a company, when you're Apple, which is, you know, the open secret is that Apple's been building a car since 2014. Um, 
you know, that's it's even for them. I mean, you, these are tech companies that are used to moving fast and having yearly updates. And it, the car world does not work like that. <laughs> the car world is is not that. And there's so it, the, the complexity is so much higher than your phone, because if my phone <laughs> crashes, the software on my phone crashes. Oh, no, that's 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 an inconvenience. When the software in your car crashes, that's a well, that's a crash. <laughs> That's that's not a, it's not ideal. <laughs> you might so be dead. I think a lot of people, you know, a lot of companies are still going to try to jump into it. They're still going to, you know, we're going to keep having Faraday Futures and Bollinger's and Lord's Towns and all the other sort of like uh, companies that are going to keep trying to do this. And you're going to have the big companies like the Apples and maybe I don't know, maybe Facebook. Who knows what Facebook's doing? They can't even sell the portal. But you know, they're you know, you're going to have all these companies. They're still going to try, but it is it is it is tough. It is tough, it, and and that's when you when we can we can talk about uh, the person who runs the company all day about he, how he might be insane. But Tesla being able to pull off what they've done is it, it, you you have to applaud them for that because that is it's oh, it's, yeah, it's, it's an impossible task to do what they have done. And I think Rivian and Lucid are probably the two EV companies that will likely make it out of this batch of EV startups that we've seen over the last few years. And even then, you're like, it's not a hundred percent because it's you know, like you said, it could be one thing, one thing. And they're like, oh, OK. I mean, this. Yeah, everyone like people were right off a car. Like there's one thing that's not quite right that, you know, the automaker doesn't even know something about the seats weren't comfortable or the look of it just didn't resonate with the public the way they thought. Or at the same time they did this, this other world event happens and suddenly nobody wants the car the way you've built it. You just yep. You don't know. And if you've got 10 cars in your stable, okay, one was a dud. That's hard to swallow, but you're fine. If you've got two, you just, or one, you're in trouble. (laughs) No one wants to be the the EV maker that, that, uh, unleashes the Aztec on the world, and the, the, exactly. the Aztec exactly uh, on paper. The Aztec is like, oh, it's like an SUV-ish. It's like you can camp it. There's it all these cool like things. Such a cool idea. Such it a, sounded amazing. It sounds yeah. like it a hit, great it cool hit every idea. item on the checklist except yep. for the design. Except for, and then there, people saw it. And they're like, no. Ew. Yeah. And at that point, you're already so far down the rabbit hole. <laughs> like, and you can see, and you'd imagine all of the, te- you know, uh, it, it's not like it was a startup making that either. Can you imagine the number of focus groups and all those things that they must have had look at that? And, and enough of them went like, yeah, cool, we love it, that they said, sure, let's move forward. And then the general public sees it and says, that's hideous. Like, and they've got huge amount of research and, like I said, focus groups and experience developing cars, and they still turn out a dud. Yeah, it's 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 such and, you know, it's the, such the, a crapshoot. <laughs> the, the the reality is that you know probably ninety percent of all business startups in any segment fail. They don't succeed. They don't they don't survive for you know more than a, a few years at most. And you know that's that's as true whether you're opening a restaurant or opening a bookstore or you know getting into the car business. You know, and the car business in particular you know attracts big egos. And you know people who think they've got big ideas, and most of them never make it. Um, They're going to change the world. Yeah, Yeah. and occasionally some do. You know, I mean, yeah, but but not very often. So they they will come, then but most will fail. So all right, Uh, we already addressed AJ's question about uh, the the Bolt batteries. and, uh, you know, just rewind if you missed that. Uh, and then finally, uh, Josh Feltz has a two-part question. Which is the better VW Coupe, the Scirocco or the Corrado? And why is the answer Scirocco? Because um, you can say Scirocco-fari. 
So it kind of looks oh, like I a like Ferrari. That. Yeah. Right like there. There you go. That's it. I love the Corrado, I, I but I love the, the name of the Scirocco. I, I love the Corrado. I wanted a Corrado so bad, but um, my friend had a Scirocco. And Did you want a like, VR6 yeah. or a G60? I don't even remember. I'm just going to say both. I, anything I could have gotten my hands on at that point in the 90s. Um, <laughs> Would have would have been would have been would have been great. Um, but my friend had a Scirocco, and she's like, "Yeah, this is our Scirocco Ferrari." I'm like, "Oh, oh, that's great." <laughs> <laughs> and once you heard the name, you're okay. like, "In, I would like one, please." Oh, for, for first or second generation Scirocco, the Gijaro design or the the second generation? I believe they had the second generation. I'm trying to, yeah, it was second gen. Yeah, okay. they had a second gen, uh, and it was. What, um, what would be your choice? I'd like saying Shiraka Far. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I'm gonna go with uh, uh, my my childhood uh, dream of having the the Corrado, and say the Corrado. Okay, Just because it, it was it's it's sort of a weird bulbous thing. Um, Darn it! Now, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm really. You know what, Scirocco, Scirocco. Never mind, Scirocco. I'm going second gen Scirocco. <laughs> I, I would, I would probably go with the first gen Scirocco. Uh, I, I, I like the design of that one, uh, but I also like the Corrado. Um, but the, you know, the, the problem with the Corrados is, you know, they, especially the early ones with the, they had this supercharged four cylinder with a, a weird supercharger uh, called the G Later. Um, which was, uh, you know, it was, a, it was a scroll type supercharger, which is, it was technically very interesting, but also extremely unreliable. Uh, they, yeah. they tended to have, have early, uh, early failures. And, uh, so you probably, if you get a, a Corrado, you probably want to get the, the later VR six models. Um, but, uh, a friend of mine, uh, who, uh, who died a few years ago, uh, he had a, a, a G60 Scirocco. And loved it, and uh, so yeah, I always liked the design of it. But <clears throat> I, I would go with the first gen Scirocco. What, yeah, what the, about you, the, Nicole? I'm just gonna go with Scirocco because I like saying Scirocco. What did you say, Scirocco Fari? Scirocco Fari. Scirocco Fari. <laughs> it's like a Ferrari. I just want <laughs> to be able to say that, so I'm gonna go for that reason, Scirocco. It's yeah, just a I, weird I actually little... saw a really. A really interesting first-gen Scirocco at uh, Cars and Coffee a few weeks ago <clears throat> here in Ann Arbor. Uh, this guy had a first-gen Scirocco, and he originally he wanted to put um, the VR6 in it, um, but it wouldn't fit in wow. the front. So he did a, a mid-mounted VR6 in the Scirocco, took out the back seat, and you know put in a structure in there and, and made a mid-engine VR6 Scirocco. Uh, and then put an electric motor on the front axle to make it a hybrid. So he's got a, a plug-in hybrid VR6, mid-engine VR6 Scirocco first-gen. So when, when everything's closed up, it looks like a fairly normal first-gen Scirocco. But then when you open the hood and the tailgate, you realize that, whoa, this is not, this is not what I expected. This is not your father's old mobile. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely not. I, 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 All right. I, I was gonna say I'm always curious about the Go people ahead. who make who who create a hybrid, who do a, a retro mod hybrid, um, because you have to deal with two different powertrains, and I'm like how how that seems like such, oh all I can think because <laughs> I want to do an EV conversion of a of a vehicle I want to buy back from a friend, 
but the, the 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 hybrid thing i'm just like i don't even know how i would pull that off and anyone who does it and they they, they are able to do it with um uh correctly how about just correctly how about it just works maybe not even correctly how about it just yeah. works I, I i applaud you for doing that because that is well it, I mean, it's, wheel, it's easier doing it the way this guy did the Scirocco, you know because what they call a through the road hybrid where you've got the gas engine on one axle the electric motor on the other axle and you don't really have to blend them you know to to feed the torque to the wheels you know each axle kind of does its own thing yeah. um so you know it's it's a little easier doing it that way but yeah it's it's just, it's still I just feel like it, i just feel like one of them is going to be either being dragged or pushed you know what i mean <laughs> like one of the one of the axles is being dragged because the the, the let's say the ev yeah. is pulling doing it has more torque than the so is it so do you, does it decouple like the the clutch when it you know does it is there a clutch that decouples the rear wheel so it doesn't get like you know if these are rotating at 500 rpm and these are rotating at 400 like what's that doing yeah see that's that's all the stuff that happens in my brain when i think about the hybrid retro mods i'm like but what if how do you keep them in in, okay maybe i'm overthinking it (laughs) just a little bit maybe i think i might be overthinking it i'm sorry all right any final thoughts from you two no final thoughts Uh, i have no thoughts Oh, check out my video okay. for the EQS on Engadget. There we go. That's a final Ooh, thought. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, Excellent. Watch. And we'll we'll put we'll we'll include that link and uh, my my video review of the uh, VW ID4 is up on uh, Hands On Tech on Twitter now too, and we'll we'll include that link as well. Cool. So, all right. Thanks everybody, and we'll talk to you next time. See ya. Bye bye. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 